Can you tilt your camera down? Because all I can see is your nose. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, I'm Big. And I am White. And together, we are Big and White. And you're listening to the Big and White Podcast, a podcast where we explore what it means to be a foreigner in Asia. So, what are we talking about this week, White? This week, we have a special episode for you guys. So, last episode, we congratulated ourselves for our great victory that no one has ever done before of having a podcast for a year. Can you hear me patting myself on the back? Yep. And every one of you is probably like cheering for us at home. That's right. You've shared it with all of your family and friends. We know. You've probably hosted a party about it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe maybe an Instagram post. We're very, very proud of ourselves. So this week, we're talking about our specialty, ourselves and Nepal. Boom. There you guys go. But also... Big and I have been in different countries for like a really long time now. So long. And that's kind of sad. Yeah. And we really miss each other. We so do. if it's cool with you guys, we're just going to kind of like catch up because we got some things to tell each other about America, about Nepal, you know, like wherever we live. I don't know why it took me so long to think of Nepal. <laughs> um, yeah. And remember like what it's like to be big and white. That's right. Yes. But first, anything happened to you this week? Big? Nothing. Not a thing. Big? Anything? Nothing. (laughs) How's America? What's the weather like? Yeah, dude. I just got to Portland and it felt so good. (laughs) Like, I, I knew I liked Portland, but I think I just was so distracted from all the traveling that I'd been doing that I wasn't really thinking that much about it. And I drove in on Highway 84, which comes in towards Portland from the east through the Columbia River Gorge, Ah. which is beautiful. And I haven't driven that road in several years. And I just, my mind was melting. I'm like, oh my gosh, I forgot how much I love Oregon and how much it feels like a home to me. I just want to stay here forever and never leave. (laughs) But yeah, and I've had kind of the same feeling walking around Portland, too. There's just something about it. Sometimes when I'm away from Portland, I kind of ask myself, like, did I inflate in my mind how great Portland is? You know, maybe I just am remembering it especially fondly because I had good times when I lived there. And then I get here and I'm like, no, no, it's even better than I remembered. It's so good. (laughs) It's just like... (laughs) just the kind of people that are here, you know, or there's such a wide mix of like really normal looking people to super crazy yoga dudes to like kind of the weirdo, crazy homeless old men that are really nice. And I mean, just all over the spectrum, different kinds of people and people are genuinely nice. Like they seem like they're having a good day Mm. and they want to include you in that, you know? Just (laughs) so nice. Yeah. Just the types of things that are around. Like, I mean, the layout of the city feels really familiar and comforting and nostalgic to me, but you know, I was just walking in this like random kind of industrial, not very exciting neighborhood. And I happened across this incredible like upcycle vintage warehouse thing, you know, and then (laughs) I'm staying in a pretty um, residential neighborhood that doesn't have very many stores, but like the one grocery store they do have, it's the size of like a gas station grocery store, but it has 
tons of like organic products in this deli with like all these Mm. kale salads and every beer you could ever want and like all these natural local products and yeah it's just I feel like one of the things I love about Portland is I mean it's chill like it doesn't feel super urban but you have access to everything that you could want especially me like to live the type of lifestyle that I like to live and it just makes things easy and convenient and fun and I love it and it's been sunny which is always magical yay Portland showed up for you. Portland in the summer is ooh, oh. a dream. Yeah. So I'm living the dream of the 90s right now. <laughs> the 1890s? That's right. Yeah. With the chickens. <laughs> Basically planning to like take morning walks every day to get coffee and kombucha and go do yoga. And have you got what's that burger place? Burgerville or something like that? Yes, I did go to Burgerville when I was driving into Portland. Did you get one of their, like, shakes? I didn't, actually, because I had just had ice cream two days in a row and I was feeling kind of sick. But their shakes are my favorite because they're made with, like, local, fresh, seasonal berries always. And they're so good. And they always have a seasonal side that's, like, deep-fried asparagus or, like, local Walla Walla onions or... Burgerville. And they're all sustainable and, you know, wonderful, of course. Yeah. Like, even the fast food in Portland is good. And they're, like, happy workers and stuff. Yeah, I do like that when you go to shop somewhere and you can tell the people actually like working there. One month was the longest I've ever spent in Portland, but Mm. Burgerville. Mm -hmm. It's a dream. Mm. It's a dream. You could just, I mean, you could go to a different restaurant for every meal and never run out in Portland. By the time you get to the end, a bunch of new ones will have popped up. (laughs) I kind of wish I was in Portland. (laughs) But yeah, that's me. I wish you were here with me so we could do all these adventurous things together. Yes. Oh my gosh. Dude, I want to go back to the gorge and do some hiking. Mm, mm. (sighs) So magical. Oh, I can just like feel it on my skin right now. Yep. Yep. The mist. All the waterfalls. Uh, Yeah, it's glorious. Although where I was in like the Lakes District in the UK, Mm -hmm. that was quite similar to like Pacific Northwest feel. Interesting. Just less steep. Like very lush and green and rainy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. They're similar latitudes, I think. Yeah, so good. But yeah, that's me. Just living the dream. How was your week? Um, well... As you guys probably know, I just got back from the UK. I'm going to be talking about it. Really? Oh my gosh, you haven't mentioned it. I know. I'm so humble, but I will talk about it 18 more times. (laughs) All right. Thanks for preparing us. Anyway, so one of the things that I got to do in the UK that was super fun was go to a linguistics conference because I'm a big old nerd (laughs) and my reasoning was like if i'm gonna go on holiday then i might as well work on holiday right (laughs) definitely 100 percent a good choice so that was one of the first things that i did though i got to the got into london on friday hung out with my friends during the weekend and then on monday took the train up to cambridge and went to a one-day linguistics conference and The topic was about, like, language preservation, Mm. which I kind of thought, like, I was interested in because in Nepal, most of the languages that we work with 
if you guys didn't know, we're language researchers, and most of the languages that we work with are experiencing language shift. Mm -hmm. So less people are using the local language, and they're starting to use Nepali. They're starting to teach Nepali to their kids so that they can consider themselves more like global citizens, can do better in school since Nepali is the educational language. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, it'd be really interesting to go to a conference about how to produce materials and preserve the local language. But I probably won't have that much to say. I just want to be able to go and listen because you know what? I'm young. I've only been doing this for a couple of years. So I just want to be able to like sit there and be quiet and like take in some information from some really smart people. Yes. And I'm so glad I went with so many people who are doing pretty much the same thing that we're doing. They're working in languages that have small populations and are all kind of going through language shift to more majority languages. Mm. It just was really cool to see, yeah, the same, I mean, sounds weird to say cool, but like it was cool to see people working in the same kind of context around the world that we're doing in Nepal. Yeah, for sure. And it was a huge confidence boost because instead of like, I'm like, I'm not gonna really like try and like talk to people. I just want to be able to listen and absorb some knowledge. But I found out that I actually have something to say. (laughs) Yes, of course you do. You have a couple years of experience (laughs) under your belt. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, you guys might not be able to believe because we literally started a podcast. So of course, I have something to say. (laughs) But yeah, it was it was a really good confidence boost. Yay. Yeah, I would love to go back. This was, I think, the ninth or 10th year that they've put on this conference and they're doing it again next year. And I mean, come on, like Cambridge, can you think of a better place to host a conference? Yeah, dude, that's amazing. After the conference, we we did like a tour, like we got to go through King's College after um after hours and then we went and did like a closing wine ceremony oh um in the garden of Peter's house, which is the oldest college in Cambridge. You guys should look it up. Americans, it'll blow your freaking minds how old this place is. Dude. And I was just like sipping wine there. It was amazing. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, I thought there was no way I was going to be jealous of you because I'm in Portland, but I'm jealous of past you at that linguistics conference. I'm jealous of past me. (laughs) Yeah. That inspires me. Now I want to try to go to a linguistics conference. You should come with me next year if I get to present. Okay. I'd love to. It's at the end of June. Mm, Perfect. Perfect time to be in Cambridge. Cambridge is so cute too. Yeah. And I stayed in this like nice little Airbnb. It was basically like a bed and breakfast. Mm. So there was like an older couple who runs it. They have like a really sweet dog. They give you breakfast every morning. Amazing. It was all in walking distance. Cambridge would be really fun to live in because everybody just kind of like cycles around. Like they just have little city bikes. Mm, Cool. They got like cobblestone streets. and But they have like malls and amenities like you would expect from a bigger city. It's just condensed down. Yeah. Sounds idyllic. Yeah, it really was. Well, how's life in Nepal, man? Oh, what is going on in Nepal? I'm kind of like reorienting myself since getting back too. So um, the crazy thing about Nepal is that like 
you don't walk on one street for a week and then you go back <laughs> and something like a new shop has popped up <laughs> or there's a new house or like a gaping hole in the middle of the road or something. <laughs> it's amazing. Like Nepal really, well, Kathmandu really keeps you on your toes, I think. I like it. So yeah, we're in the middle of monsoon here, mm. which is totally fine. It's not very hot. It's not really that rainy. Oh, actually. really? Oh, interesting. It's a little bit weird because we had a very, very rainy spring, you guys. Mm. And we were like, it seems like monsoon because it was storming every day. But then like monsoon is just kind of light rain most Mm. of the time. So yeah, it was just weird. So basically, it only rains when I'm leaving work and need to cycle home. Oh, yes. It knows exactly. I'm at the gym or, you know. (laughs) So... The most that it's like changed my life is like, mm, okay, I think I'm, I have to go to the gym after work today. So I better wear waterproof mascara because otherwise I'll cycle there and the w- mascara will get wet <laughs> from rain and it'll bleed into my eyes and then I can't see <laughs> and um, then I'll like crash and then I'll die. <laughs> you know, that's like my basic like that's my getting ready mm-hmm. structure these days. Yep, that's like your mm-hmm. pep talk in the morning. How you decide which mascara to wear. (laughs) What mascara can I put on that won't make me die today? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, just normal things. Yeah, just Nepal things. Um, But other than that, yep, some of the roads are being torn up. Mm -hmm. At least by, like, where you are living is just horrendous now. Oh, yeah. I saw some of the pictures, that little lane that leads to our house. (laughs) Oh, it's, it's really bad. And, um... Some of our other friends who live in the same building and who own a scooter, like, haven't even been parking their scooter at your house anymore. Oh, really? They just, like, park it in my gate, inside my gate. <laughs> and they just walk to your house and take their scooter out. Yeah. It's easier for her to come and just get it from mine than it is to drive over that. That's funny. I don't blame her at all because I walked that way for the first time since getting back mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. And my first thought was like, ooh, I should come back here and practice some of my technical mountain bike riding here. <laughs> Good. Perfect. <laughs> so if that tells you anything. That's funny. Actually, my friend who lived in Cambodia said she always felt like the best time of year to look for a new apartment was during the rainy ooh, season. Oh, yeah. Because you want to make sure that you can get your scooter to your house. Like, what oh if gosh. you sign a lease on an apartment in the dry season and then rainy season comes and there's like a foot of water leading to your house so every day true. Your scooter home oh my goodness isn't that genius that's genius <laughs> so we need a version of that for construction and kevin do it yeah because weirdly like a lot of construction happens during monsoon season yeah i feel like they plan to do it before monsoon but then they don't get it done quick enough or they'll get it done like two weeks before but then monsoon comes and it all turns into a pothole again anyway like it gets all the asphalt gets like ripped up and scooters are like falling into these humongous manholes that you can't see because they're like filled up with water yeah that's not just a nepal problem though my friend that lives in Duluth was saying that they you know because like the weather there is really intense and it snows a lot and stuff so the roads get all torn up every year and then he says but it takes them so long to get to all the roads like they always 
come by and fill in the potholes on his road like the day before it starts snowing again he's like thank (laughs) you helpful (laughs) yeah and like on your same road there's like an entire basically like a transformer box that they tore down as they were doing the road work and they but they only like partially tore it down so it's still like hanging maybe two feet off the ground and i'm not talking like one wire like it's probably at least 10 clumped together wires. What? Some are on the ground, some aren't. And yeah. It's, oh my gosh. It's like, I was so mad. I didn't have my phone with me when I walked by, but I'll have to like capture it and show yes, our listeners too, because it's ridiculous. Yeah, and show me. That's insane. Yeah. All yeah. the things I'm missing. I feel like lately... There's been a lot of um, low-hanging wires. Hmm. So, like, listeners, basically the situation in Nepal, as I understand it at least, is that... So, you have, like... You guys have seen pictures, I'm sure. I've posted them. um, Of, like, what transformer boxes look like and stuff. Like, telephone wires and electrical wires. The poles get so jumbled up and crazy with wires. Because, like, instead of being like, oh, we're replacing a wire, we'll take one down and put up a new one. They just add new ones. Mm -hmm. And then once in a while, they'll go through and they'll rip down all the old ones. But it's not the job of the people who come and rip them down to carry them away. (laughs) So then for maybe months at a time, you just have piles of dead wire pieces in the road i didn't know that i didn't know that was why i mean it kind of makes sense right because most of the guys who would come and do that like ride up on their bicycles right yeah with the ladders that just fold out majorly Mm -hmm. so it's like what are you supposed to do with all that wire yeah but then no one else carries it off either no one else comes ever i don't i don't know what eventually happens like i mean maybe the street cleaners eventually take them away or something yeah maybe someone just gets fed up enough i don't know i've never actually questioned who comes to get them dude that's really (laughs) funny but um lately it seems like there's a lot more low-hanging wires like have been taken partially Mm -hmm. down but haven't been taken completely down which um i can think of like from my house there's one street right in front has a low-hanging wire i've almost caught myself on To the street to the left, there's a low-hanging wire I've almost caught myself on while riding my bike. And then to the right, towards where you live, there's like 15 low-hanging wires. Wow, cool. Great. Fabulous. Perfect. I know. It's like a video game getting (laughs) And somebody I know was on the back of a motorbike and got caught. (gasps) No. Like clotheslined on a wire. (gasps) Oh my gosh, how scary. I got caught once on one of those on a motorcycle. Yikes. This was my old motorcycle that had straight handlebars that were kind of wide. Mm-hmm. And I was going through this alley and I, uh, one of those wires like caught on my handlebar. <laughs> yes. But luckily I reacted super fast and I like whacked it off mm. of the handlebar. So as I kept my momentum going forward, it didn't like make the handlebar yep. turn or anything. That's amazing. Good job. But it was terrifying. Thank you. Spider-Man skills yeah. over here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's really scary that someone like actually got hurt with because of that. Ugh. I guess the most dramatic thing that has happened with me with those electrical wires is that a pile of them that were laying on the ground, like completely on the ground. I was cycling and my um, flip flop caught on the pile of wires <laughs> and my shoe flew <laughs> off into the air. <laughs> That's awesome. So then I had to stop in like these Nepali 
aunties were like just staring at me like <laughs> what's wrong with you why would you let that happen as i like limp over barefoot to go and get my shoe again they're like you're so dumb you stupid foreigner <laughs> oh man that's hilarious so dramatic can't you handle a pile of wires yeah well dude Speaking of motorcycles, um, I miss riding a motorcycle so much. Yeah. Every time I see a motorcycle. I mean, this is like prime motorcycle season too, right? Like good yeah. weather. I just get Aww. so sad. I mean, my car is amazing, which helps. Yeah, at least it's a convertible. <laughs> I know. It's like almost a motorcycle, but with a trunk. <laughs> but still, like, I just watch other people so longingly. And I'm like, oh, I want to be you Aww. right now. <laughs> so... It's just, you know, the hard things about yeah. traveling. Well, anytime I see our friends who have borrowed your motorbike, like mm-hmm. anytime I see your motorbike, I'm like, oh, Big's here. And then I'm like, Big's not no. here. It's so sad. <laughs> I'm not there. Oh, no. I'm sad. <laughs> well, maybe you'll get like once you go to L.A. or something, somebody will lend you a motorbike. I don't really know anyone with a motorbike. Actually, I might know someone here in Portland. Mm, I'll think about it. I'll try. Try my best to find one. (laughs) I feel like it would be really weird to go from, like, your... What is yours? Like, 150cc or Mm -hmm. something like that? Yep. Yep. To go from that back to, like, a Harley or, like, one of the huge So when I was in Calgary, we went to a Harley diner. It was amazing. It was, like, a classic 50s diner, but it was Harley-themed. But it was, like, connected to a Harley dealership. So then we went over and we were, like, Mm -hmm. walking around and looking at all the bikes. And they looked so big and intimidating after I'm used to Asia with all our (laughs) tiny little bikes, you know? There was this, like, fully equipped huge road king with the big seats and the speakers and everything. You know, the kind that, like, old people take on cross-country road trips? yes. And it looked so big, though. I was, like, so intimidated. Like, I don't want to drive that. Ah." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I would be terrified, so... But yeah, I'm like used to driving a car again now. I noticed when I first got back to the States that I wasn't very good at it. Mm. I mean, it's a skill like anything that you practice, right? And I haven't really driven a car much for, you know, the last five years or whatever. And I haven't sat behind the wheel of a car for two years, I guess, year and a half. So, yeah, I kind of like took me a while to get my skills back and to get my brain like up to speed mm-hmm. kind of because you drive so much faster here, you know. So I finally feel comfortable and good with good. my driving skills, which is a high value for me because I'm from L.A. and I need to be a good driver. But like like you were saying, I think in the last episode, you've been traveling a lot and everywhere that you've traveled has different driving cultures, too. Oh, yeah. So like, oh, yeah. that's a lot to adjust to again it is definitely yeah i had a hard time in calgary i actually didn't drive very much it was kind of nice because it was yeah i think i just like had reached my limit of different places that i was driving (laughs) yeah is your is your new car a automatic or a stick it's an automatic which is like the one thing i don't like about it Mm. i wish it was a manual but yeah i did when i very first got back though um my friend has a truck that's manual and he was like oh do you want to drive it home and he just threw me the keys and I just hopped in 
and I just did everything like fine, you know, <laughs> no problems. And it was like kind of this really good moment. I'm like, oh, I'm really used to going back and forth between my different lives mm. now. And it's not as hard anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's been something I've been thinking about a lot, actually, because I've been traveling. And so I've been seeing a lot of my friends who live very different lives, mm. you know. And it just has made me think a lot about my choices and how much I love this life that I am living. Mm -hmm. But also just getting exposure to all these different kinds of lives gives me kind of FOMO, you know, like fear of missing out. Yeah. Like, you know, I see a family that has like a really stable life that's kind of boring, but that has like some, you know, it's so comforting and like secure. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice. I kind of wish I had that, you know? Yeah. Where I see my friend who lives like also a stable life, but not like the typical family life. Like he has all these crazy hobbies and he's a pilot and he does all these interesting things. And I'm like, if I lived in the States, I could do that. That would be amazing. <laughs> you know? Like, or yeah, just like seeing all these different varieties of the type of lives that people live. And mm -hmm. I mean, the main thing that it does is make me wish that I could live more than one life at a time. Totally. It's so fun to like dream about, you know, like, oh, if I stayed here, this is how I would live. Or, you know, if I had this kind of yeah, yeah this yeah. lifestyle, here's exactly what kind of person I would be. Or it's fun. <laughs> For me, it's I don't do it as much of like, oh, dreaming, planning. It's It's more a little bit like mourning. Mm. like I'm like I love my life but it means I can't do these other yeah. things you know oh, yeah. so I have to kind of come to terms with that and I think in practice I'm pretty good at making a wide variety of choices and you know even if I make a choice that limits me for example becoming an expat moving overseas like doing the kind of work that we do mm -hmm. you know that limits me away from a North American life but then I recognize that i can take other opportunities that other people wouldn't necessarily have. So, you know, in practice, it's fine. But just because I'm getting so much exposure in such a short time to all these different other options, True. I start to get a little bit, like, restless yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Things that maybe you didn't even, like, consider being an option. Like, yes, they exist, but right. they're so far out of the realm of my reality that, mm -hmm. you know, you don't even, like, worry about them or think to be sad you can't right do or you just don't even think about it like I remember my mom mentioning this once when I was a kid it's like if you don't like if I don't go to the store I don't even think of like I can't think of anything I want to buy but then once I'm at the store I'm like oh I forgot about that I do need that you know and you end up buying all this stuff you don't need right yeah I feel like I'm doing that a little bit like you know, I didn't think I wanted this crazy life where I'm a pilot and I have a <laughs> right. carpentry thing in my basement and all this stuff. And I see my friend doing it and I'm like, yes, this is the life yeah. I want now. <laughs> oh, man. I do that all the time, honestly. Yep. The Internet is not well, like mm -hmm. living in Nepal, yeah. maybe there's things that I, d I wouldn't think about if I didn't have access to things like YouTube and stuff. And then I see other people living these lives and I'm like, hey. <laughs> I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's interesting. This is something I've been thinking about as well a lot being here. It's like how disconnected we are from people that are far away from us, you know? Like, mm. I mean, on a, on a big scale, you know? Like, I meet these people in the Midwest, and they have 
such a rich life and all these relationships and concerns and worries and stuff that just have zero overlap with like someone living in a village in Nepal. Yeah. And they don't know anything about each other's types of lives. And, you know, like it's crazy that there can be such disparateness like of our mm-hmm. human human mm-hmm. experience. But also at the same time, the internet is kind of bringing us more together, you know. So now we are starting to be able to at least peek with a little window into other types of people's right, lives true. and get to know that. And I think there's both pros and cons to that. Like, I mean, one of the big cons that a lot of people talk about is like with news, right? You hear about all this terrible stuff that you never would have heard about before and it makes you depressed. True. Um, but also it's cool that people can kind of have access to other people's lives. Like the family that I'm staying with, um, they have a 15 year old daughter and she asked me like, what do people my age in Nepal do for fun? Like outside of school. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I I kind of tried to answer and she was like, yeah, well I just was wondering cause I noticed like whenever I'm online and I see like different people commenting and stuff, like sometimes I'll see someone who's from like some random country in the middle East or Asia. And I'm like, Hmm hey, you're here too. That's cool. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing that like, you know, even just like a random teenager in the U.S. like Mm -hmm. kind of has a chance to interact with some random teenager in like, you know, a totally other continent. So interesting. So true. I mean, I remember even just like the, when I was younger and, um, uh, what's, what was it? MSN messaging was a thing or AOL Mm -hmm. or something like once in a while. You would just get like random people on there Mm -hmm. and not talking about like, you know, 60 year old men pretending to be some 15 year old from the Midwest, (laughs) but like actual, actual people that were just like in different countries. Like I remember being in my basement in rural Arkansas and talking to a girl who was from, um, I don't know, like Staffordshire in the UK or something like that. And that just oh, like fun. blew my mind because you guys, <laughs> you could probably guess this, but uh, Arkansas, rural Arkansas is not diverse. <laughs> I did not have any cross-cultural experience and I never considered that my life could even involve cross-cultural experience. So like talking to her just opened up a, like a whole new world is incredible. That's really cool. But it was also like, Oh, yeah, you're like also just a teenager who's living in a different place. And we might have slightly different perspectives, right, but yeah. also you're just a teenager. Like it was yeah, yeah. cool and equalizing. And I think it's really cool. I mean, for like you in Arkansas mm-hmm. or for someone maybe in a country where like culturally they don't have a lot of outlet for certain things or whatever. Like now they have access to like... Mm-hmm. Maybe new intellectual ideas or other people that they can talk to that, like, yeah. wouldn't be as acceptable or, um, you know, they can... What am I trying to say? I'm yeah. babbling. No, I get um, for sure. But, yeah, access to ideas and different cultural yeah. thoughts and stuff that they might not be able to express where they live. Makes me want to go back to, like, my hometown because I haven't really spent any time in there since pretty much since moving away for college in 2011. So I'd be Mm. curious to see, Mm. like, what people are like 
now? Like, are they actually accessing this humongous wide world? Or is it just continuing on in the same way that it always has? I don't know. It's hard to picture. It's probably a little of both, right? Probably. I, I did. Um, while I was driving, I listened to Hillbilly Elegy. Oh, such a good book, which isn't was, it? Like, the perfect book for a drive. Yeah. And the author reads the audiobook, which is always my favorite. <laughs> if you guys haven't read this book, it's mm. highly, highly recommended. It's amazing. But it's a memoir of a guy who grew up basically in like hillbilly culture in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, but it was really interesting because I felt like there were a lot of similarities to like village Nepali culture that I noticed mm. in the book and just kind of the expectations that people have on their family and the deep family connections and stuff. But it seems like in that culture and in a lot of cultures around the world, which is probably true of where you're from as well, that people who like have the potential to kind of broaden the perspective of those around them end up leaving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then whoever's left kind of perpetuates the current culture that's already there. Yeah, that's really true. It's an interesting kind of culture, though. Don't exactly know how to, like, explain anything, but... <laughs> <laughs> Words are difficult. <laughs> it's true, though. It is, like, a lot like Nepal. Like, very communal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot more of the, like... Um, Nepal doesn't have this as strongly as maybe like some Middle Eastern cultures of like the kind of men have to be super tough, you know, mm. and there's sort of, it's sort of like a sh- honor shame thing, but more of like a tribalism thing. Like you mm-hmm. really protect the people closest to you, most related to you. And, you know, even like to the point of violence, because like you're protecting their honor and who they are. You know, <laughs> like I love the story about his, yeah. Uh, grandma's brother. It's like someone made a joke, like made some joke about um, wanting to eat her underwear when she was young. And the brother went and actually got a pair of her underwear and made the guy eat it. <laughs> <laughs> like, whoa, that's intense, man. <laughs> I mean, he really was like, I think he says in the book that he's like uh, hillbilly royalty, like Hatfields yeah. and the McCoys. Like, that's a right. real thing. That was. That was his legacy that he grew up in. Yeah. Yeah. Insane. Crazy. Crazy. I'm reading uh, Educated right now, which is another memoir slightly along the same trend. Oh, yeah. I haven't heard of it. Yeah. It's really good. I'm only like halfway done with it right now, but it's another book kind of like Hillbilly Elegy, but it's about um a really... She comes from a Mormon family, but it's not like prototypical Mormon like her dad was obsessed with end times and probably hmm. bipolar and hmm. um, just like wanted his family off the grid and interesting. Yeah. Just like very, very conservative family mm. out in the middle of nowhere, Idaho, I think it was. Yeah. But yeah, I really recommend it. So you guys can add these books to your reading list. Big and White Book Club coming at you. Yeah. <laughs> Do we have anything else we want to talk about? Yeah, let's see. Let's think. What else is going on? What can I tell you about Nepal? Oh my gosh, yeah. I feel so disconnected from Nepal lately. It's hard. Like when we get together and we're like, oh, what should we talk about for the podcast? I'm like, uh, 
Nepal. <laughs> like, like, yep. It's, yeah, it's weird just being away for however long it's been, like four months or something. Yeah. It's crazy how quickly that you, once you're out of this context that, you know, it's hard to even conceptualize. Mm-hmm. Like even when I was in the UK, like I couldn't, I was having trouble remembering Nepali. Like I was so scared that I would forget it. Mm-hmm. So I would be like trying to like review stuff for myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no, I'm going to forget everything. Or, you know, it's just, and even like I was writing a report while I was there. And so and then I'm like trying to think in Nepal village mindset Mm. in central london you know i'm like this is hard (laughs) yeah you know what though i i've had that same experience but i find the more i go back and forth the less i have it like one of the first couple times i was back in the states i met a nepali person and i tried to speak to them and i was making all of these mistakes like i just couldn't (laughs) speak nepali but then this time when i was in north dakota i went to a nepali grocery store which was amazing um, and I had this long conversation with them and like my Nepali came, it came, <laughs> yeah, my Nepali, it came, it came just fine. <laughs> Ayo. Yes. Ayo. <laughs> yeah. That was a trip going to that grocery store. Yeah. I, well, so I had heard that there were some Nepalis that lived in that town and that maybe there was a store somewhere, but I didn't know where. And then I was just walking to this coffee shop, and I saw a sign that said, Hambro Grocery, which means our grocery in Nepali. And I was like, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> so I went in there, and it was crazy how Nepali it was. Mm. Like, they had, like, Nepali brand hair products. Wow. And, like these weird Nepali snacks that I've never seen anywhere else with the, in the same packaging with like, you know, the weird printed out bright green yes, paper slid uh, into the plastic and then sealed in. They had churpi, like the um, <laughs> dried yak cheese and lupsi candy and like the plastic tubs that you use for washing. Like it was so Nepali. It was crazy. Yeah. insane. Oh man. Yeah. So I asked I asked them and the gal said that they import some stuff from Nepal, um, but the shipping is so unreliable that actually mm-hmm. most of what they get is from a company out of Chicago that imports Nepali products to the Interesting. US. Interesting. Like wholesale. Wow. Yeah. You would think I mean, that's crazy that there's enough Nepalis in the States that that would be a lucrative mm-hmm. business, right? Yeah. <laughs> huh. And it's crazy to think about, like, even exporting stuff from Nepal, too. Like, not because the products aren't good enough, but that sometimes things aren't even available here. Like, local products aren't even available here. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Everything I saw there was, like, in every tiny little puzzle store that you ever go to. So so good. Can you buy, like, single cigarettes? (laughs) oh man probably (laughs) they did have it was funny i like i had our friend moon because someone brought me a package from nepal i was like oh man i really miss like the tiny coconut oil packages there Mm because here coconut oil is so expensive so i had her go to the store and buy a little thing of coconut oil and put it in the package and then our friends brought it to the states and mailed it to me (laughs) I mean, not three weeks later, I went to this Nepali grocery store and they had the exact coconut oil. And I was like, well, that was way more work than it needed to be. (laughs) That's amazing. 
I guess that's an example of something that I'm so used to in Nepal that I want to keep getting, you know? I feel like there's some countries where you get used to the products there. You know, if you lived in the UK for a long time and then you moved back to the US, I'm sure you'd miss a lot of, like, the kind of very British products. Mm -hmm. There aren't very many things like that in Nepal, I feel like, but I guess coconut oil is one of them. Yeah. Coconut oil and, like, tiny little baby things of baby powder. Oh, yes. Those are amazing. Like travel size. <laughs> travel size baby powder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things you can only get in Nepal, apparently. Travel size anything. Like, Nepal's pretty good for that. That's true. Yeah. They don't, like, stock up on Costco size, you know, bottles of conditioner or something that are, like... I know. Like, the same height as your body <laughs> or something. You know, they're like, well... You can buy a sachet of one <laughs> use. Like. Exactly. Well, I've had trouble with that being back in the States. Like, because I'm traveling a lot, but I'm not, you know, I am somewhat stable. So I need like medium sized things. And I have a really hard time finding that. Mm -hmm. Like, even that tiny grocery store that I went to today, that's like the size of a 7 Eleven kind of thing. I mean, it had all local Portland amazingness stuff, but it was small. Hey, dog. <laughs> I like I walked by the lotion aisle and the only lotion was huge. It was like 30 <laughs> ounces. And I was like, what the heck? Portland of all places should have smaller options. It's family sized. I mean, I guess it's more like packaging efficient yeah. to have a big bottle, but I don't want to lug that thing around with me to <laughs> all the different places that I'm going. <laughs> I have a tiny trunk in my car, you guys. Okay. It's all lotion. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how my shampoo and conditioner are, I feel like. like. I'm like, oh, let me just grab the toiletries I need for one night. It's like this huge <laughs> bag. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, um, have you heard about what was happening at the border of India with vegetables and fruit? No, I haven't. Yeah. So the big news when I got back from the UK was that um, basically the vegetables and uh, the fruit and vegetables coming out of India into Nepal, which we get a lot of vegetables from India, they have been putting inedible chemicals as pesticides what? on this fruit and vegetables what? and exporting them into Nepal. And no. so the Nepal government like tested them one day and said, this is horrible. You can't import this. And India was like, I think actually that it was like an official statement from India that they sent saying, stop testing these vegetables. <gasps> just take it. What? So we pretty much just like, you know, we just have these vegetables that we know are from like are, are inedible, basically. No. <laughs> and there's nothing that we can really do about it. And it was already, like, not that efficient to be able to, like, go grocery shopping here anyway, right? Like, we've talked right. about this on the podcast at length. And now, don't even know, like, I thought I was doing a good thing for my body by eating fresh fruits and vegetables. And now I find out that I'm probably going to get cancer from <gasps> the fresh fruits and vegetables. No. So, like, what the heck can I eat? So what it's are you doing? Like... Like, does it, can you, like, peel stuff? Or is it, like, soaking in? Like, you can't really eat vegetables at all? Like, that's a good question. I don't actually, I don't know. 
I've been trying to just order or just buy organic stuff, like going to farmers markets more, like just getting stuff that's all like locally produced. Yeah. Which I try and go to farmers markets anyway, because I think that that's a really good industry to be able to support with those kind of local farmers. Yeah, for sure. But most of the time it's like it's on a Sunday morning and I have a hard time getting out of the house, you know, and going to the, I mean, going to the uh, farmer's market. And I think every week I'm going to do it. Yeah. And then I, you know, end up running out of time or something. Dude, food man do. Get it delivered. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, I'm like trying to do that. And there's like some shops that just sell yeah. organic produce, local organic produce, too. So that's good. But you just have to be so intentional about everything right well and that's like another like rich privilege thing too right yeah it's so true like normal nepalis can't afford to only shop at organic stores and farmers markets and stuff so they're just probably eating all these terrible chemicals yeah Uh, it's frustrating but yeah i think moon was the one who told me this but she like read an article about this in the himalayan times maybe um but as far as i know it's in the supreme court right now oh yeah they took it to the supreme court after the indian government sent the message saying stop checking just keep bringing them in like you have been doing so they're still kind of trying to f- figure it out oh my gosh that is insane So, yeah, the people who brought it to court or this group, I guess that's called Advocate Nepal. And um, so they're pushing for Nepal to continue to test fruits and vegetables imported from India, as well as those produced locally to determine the permissible levels of chemicals before they are sent to the market for public consumption. Advocate Nepal stressed the notice was filed because the government's decision had put fundamental rights of Nepali citizens, including consumer rights and the right to health, at risk. He said the decision to not check for pesticides would especially affect maternal and child health and child development, among others, extending the negative impact of the decision to the next generation. Boom. That's the that's the article from the Himalayan Times that I'm reading from. Good job, Advocate Nepal. Yeah. I don't know what happened with that either. That was from July, so. Well, well, I hope something good happens. So yeah, that's a lot of doom and gloom. Yeah, cool note to end on, bro. Yeah, cool. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say one of the best things about uh being in monsoon season right now is that the air quality is amazing. Hooray! Yay! Oh my gosh. Congratulations. I get like notifications every single morning telling me what the air quality index is. Mm -hmm. And for like the last month, it's been green. Uh, So like uh. that means that the like little app is like, yay, open your windows to bring the fresh, clean air inside. And it's usually like, close your windows and don't breathe for the next day, (laughs) you know. Yay. <laughs> that's what it's like during the winter time but yay we're in the green congrats that's so exciting yeah thank you thank you why don't we take a moment now to hear from one of our sponsors have you or a loved one suffered an injury due to low-hanging electrical wires on a street in nepal you may be entitled to financial compensation 
Clotheslining is a serious incident caused by hooking one's neck on low-hanging wire because you remember just a little late that, oh yeah, there's that one wire that's still just hanging there after all that road work that messed up my street for the last six months. Please, don't wait. Call us today at 1-800-THIS-IS-JUST-A-RISK-YOU'LL-HAVE-TO-LIVE-WITH today to see if you and your loved ones are eligible to take part in our class action lawsuit. Clotheslined patients, call us and ask us what we can do for you. Remember, that's 1-800-SERIOUSLY-WE-WON'T-BE-ABLE-TO-HELP-YOU. Wow, thank you so much, uh, unnamed sponsor who is filing this class action lawsuit against wires in Nepal. <laughs> We've been waiting for this for a long time, honestly. Like, we weren't going to do it ourselves, but... <laughs> Somebody had to do it, right? Glad that someone was taking the responsibility. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's been super great chatting with you, Wyatt. Yeah, I, I got to catch you. up a little bit. I miss you, too. And I hope our listeners enjoyed hearing our random thoughts about life in Nepal and yeah. being not in Nepal and... What else did we talk about? I'm <laughs> doing the Midwestern mom thing where you recap your conversation. <laughs> so what I've heard you saying is... I'm really glad that we got to talk about um, your aunt's illness and how well you're doing at school. And we'll talk again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. <laughs> cool. All right. Well, you listeners, you know what to do. You find us on the internet. You support us on Patreon. You keep being amazing and awesome, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Yep, yep, yep. And as always, if you have any questions for us, feel free to reach out on any of those internet things yeah. and tell us what we should talk about on our next episode. We would love that, because planning is not our strong suit. <laughs> it's been over a year and we're doing okay. But yeah, I'm proud of us. We made it this far. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, I think I'm going to hang up now. So, yep, I'm hanging up. I'm hanging up. Okay. Okay. All okay. right. That's well, I'm hanging okay. up. Yep. Okay. 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 All right. Okay. 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 Bye. All right. All Bye. right. Bye. 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 Bye.